Hi, my name is April Martin, and I am a student hireability navigator here at Workforce Solutions. And today I'm partnering with Allison Skaberg with Consolidated Planning Group and with Christina Cabral from Let's IEP Together. And we're going to learn about navigating the IEP process. Just real briefly, if you want to stay in touch with me, we can go ahead to the first slide. This is where I can be reached. I do have what's called follow-up resources on a Padlet. So many of the resources that I distribute when talking with parents or schools are available on this Padlet. And then as far as services that are offered for vocational rehabilitation are pre-ETS services. I have a slide with what those involve. And then uh, lastly, if you need state services and you're not in my area, I've included a slide for access to those vocational rehabilitation services. All right, Allison, I'll go ahead and turn it over to you. Um, April, it's such a pleasure uh, to be back with you today. Um, and I just, you know, I, I think I was, you know, this whole webinar isn't about uh, the vocational rehab services, but, you know, these are great programs um, in our state. If you're attending from out of state, there are programs in your state as well. But these programs are designed to help individuals with a disability um, basically uh, obtain and find and keep competitive employment, not underemployment. So um, there are state and federally funded dollars that these programs have, and there's a lot of resources out there. Most of your schools have a VR counselor, um, so you can ask about that with your guidance counselor, and there are access to services. And again, April Martin can put you um, in touch with services in your area if you're not in April's area, but I am a huge advocate for this. And I always just like to tell parents, because a lot of times they don't know, that services start as early as 14. So when we, you know, that those pre-ET services, the pre-employment training um, transition services that you're talking about, um, we can really get going early with our kids um, and getting them up to speed. First, they're going to find out what their impediments are to employment. They're going to do some assessments and testing to find out what those impediments are. And then they're going to put a program in place specifically tailored to your child to close the gap on those impediments so that they can find competitive employment. It's a really cool program. So I just like to mention that a little bit further. I'm, I'm a fan. You can tell I don't work for them and they don't work for us, but um, <laughs> definitely a fan. Um, I'm Allison um, Scobbard, Consolidated Planning Group. And we are happy to be here with you today. I just wanted to go over a few housekeeping items. Um, we're going for an hour today. So if you're planning your day, um, you can plan on that. Um, anybody that is attending this, this live session um, will get a copy of the slides and the recording, so you can count on that. You can look for that in, in your uh, inbox today. And we are excited uh, to be partnering for the first time uh, today with Christina Cabral on the Let's IEP Together. And so we are going to be talking about, um, you know, really the ongoing uh, concerns as parents uh, that we have uh, as it relates to education. It's kind of the, I mean, from the time they're in preschool and kindergarten all the way through, a, through even higher education, um, that is something that is pressing on a lot of parents' minds when it comes to educating 
um, our kids that may have learning differences or um, some challenges in, in that area. And so, uh, Christina, thank you so much for joining us today. And um, we just um, we are in webinar mode. I want to let people know that. So we can't see you or hear you today, but we do know you're there. And so if you're attending this live session today, uh, we do invite you to put questions in the chat box. We will take questions throughout this presentation. Uh, April and myself will be monitoring that chat box and we'll put those questions out to Christina. So Christina, thank you. Tell us a little bit more uh, about yourself and uh, what you're going to talk about today. Sure. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here and share this time with everybody. So I have been advocating on behalf of my children and others since about 2015. You know, I probably came into it, you know, a lot of the ways that a lot of parents um, and advocates and working in resource or Texas workforce come into special education. It's usually a little bit of a baptism by fire. You know, we walk into school with our backpacks and, you know, we're ready to go and excited and kissed on your way. Um, and, you know, along the way, we, we realize that there are additional needs and resources that our children um, need in order to make progress and be ready ultimately to have that gainful employment, further education, independent living, which are the three main goals of IDEA. So I very firmly believe that every child deserves a voice at the IEP table. Um, and I work on behalf of our children that are preparing to graduate successfully and move on to whatever their next step is, whether it is um, secondary education or employment. Um, all of those are valid and all those are important. I know right. you're probably going to cover this, but I just <laughs> wanted to verify um, with you if you're services are for hire. I know, you know, some parents, you know, IEP on their own and they, they handle things and they've had good experiences with the schools and things and other parents need a little bit of help. Uh, they don't know what they don't know and they want to hire somebody. And I just want to verify if your services are available for hire. Definitely. So I see parents on um, a couple of different bases. I have some parents that like to come in, you know, they have all their documents, they want to go ahead and, you know, be at that meeting on their own. And so I do what's called a file review. So I'll go through all of their evaluations and documents and work with them to set up um, a kind of a, a game plan, so to speak, for their next meeting so they can go into their meeting and, you know, have talking points and know what the resources are and what they really need to be asking and advocating for in those meetings. And then I have some parents um, that want me to be full-time with them, which means that I attend all of their IEP meetings or their 504 meetings, um, MDRs, um, transition meetings, any of those things, and help navigate those meetings with them. So I'm certainly available. I see um, parents all over DFW. I also see them nationwide. Um, Zoom, as we're on today, has really opened up that world and that availability to be anywhere. So California to Maine. Um, I've got clients um, all over the place, and I'm happy to work with you. Just go ahead and reach out to me, and um, we can get connected. Sounds great. Thank you for that. All right, so when did we know something was different? Um, you know, we all we all kind of bring our bundles home. We 
and everything begins at that point. We start kind of gauging them and measuring them up, up against, you know, our friend who just had a baby. When did they smile? When did they roll over? And then those questions just kind of continue. And a lot of times we look back and we'll go, huh, yeah, I saw something. I saw something different. Um, you know, we're comparing to our peers and that's kind of one place where we'll see differences begin to surface. Um, you know, are we noticing things happening at a different pace? Are we noticing that they're starting to have a bigger divide between what other peers are experiencing or doing in areas that they're struggling? So personally for me, my youngest was, um, some things were very obvious, you know, as early as, um, as he was in the womb. So he was born with multiple physical differences. So it was very clear for him that he was going to have needs. What came later was realizing that there are also speech difficulties. So as you, you know, as your children are kind of are growing and going through preschool and all those fun things, we can kind of look back and go, mm, okay, there's, there's an area that didn't look um, concerning at the time, but now you can kind of sometimes see that there are areas we may have missed uh, because you just weren't sure what to do with that. Was it just an area that we were struggling in the moment or was that an indicator that there was a need? So, next slide. Um, yes, Christina, I, I just wanted to ask you because, you know, we probably have parents all across the board here, parents that are just seeing that they know that they need a little bit more help. Maybe their child's falling behind. We may have some parents here that um, have a child that's newly diagnosed or hasn't gone to school yet, but will be. They're trying to educate themselves. And so um, the whole idea of these, this IEP and 504 and IDEA, we, we, we throw all these acronyms around and you know them and I know them, but not everybody knows them. But it kind of goes back to every child is um, entitled to a free, public, appropriate education. So this comes down to, and you're going to talk further uh, about, so when we have a, a loved one with a disability, that, you know, there, there are accommodations and things that um, they, are, they are allowed by law, I mean, that, that, that they can have. So you're going to kind of get into the weeds about how that all works, right? Definitely. So we're going to kind of start at the beginning and then we're going to get in there and really, you know, get into the weeds of what IDEA is. And that's the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act and what an IEP is and what a 504 is, how you request testing, um, what some of those accommodations and um, alternate curriculums look like and what all of those different moving pieces that, you know, you just you don't know and what you don't know. and what was really shocking for me as a parent looking back now is I raised my hand in school with my oldest, who's now 16, um, in kindergarten. It was like, he's not, he's writing oddly. All of his letters were strange. He was making strange blends. He was not progressing. And I kept raising my hand and saying, something's not right. We're spending six hours on homework together. Um, what's happening and you know school often like the teachers and staff it was just kind of nodding and going keep it up keep it up I didn't know when he was in kindergarten that I just didn't need to keep like keep driving that wheel into the ground and I was grinding that poor baby um, he was so frustrated and I didn't know and a lot of times teachers don't know they don't know 
what resources are available or how to effectually request them so that you move that ball down the field and start making those things happen. And unfortunately, this is probably one of my driving reasons for what I do is I don't want another family to go through what I had to go through with my oldest, where to this day, and I'm not sure if I will ever not feel guilty for those lost years early in elementary school. So it's as much of an emotional journey for parents and kids um, navigating and getting this right. And I, and I think also, Christina, the, the key is early and as early as you can, as, as early as you're aware, because it doesn't take long where weeks turn into months and months to turn into a school year. And then they're really, really behind. And then it's trying to catch, catch them up. And then that you mentioned the always comparing when do they smile, when do they do, do this, you know, and then it's this perpetual as a parent, we want the best for our kids and that driving thing grinding the kid into the ground of like, you got to practice. You have to, it's like every summer and we're doing tutoring and we're doing, we're doing yes. all of these things and it just makes um, learning not so, so much fun. So the right. key is, 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 is to pick up the piece as soon as you can and, and, and get it moving in the right direction with the accommodations that they need. Huh? Certainly. I did want to add as a parent and knowing a few other parents also, if you're able to, for a while, when your kids are younger, tutor and help enough so that they're doing okay in school and getting by, oftentimes the school has no reason to intervene because they'll say there's, on our side, no evidence mm -hmm. to base a need on. Yeah, you're, you're skewing the data. You're skewing mm -hmm. the data. We think that we're doing fantastic for our children by, you know, shoving them in and, you know, Kumon or whatever tutoring um, ranch or, you know, having evenings with, you know, their retired teacher that is reteaching them, you know, all of this grade level work. I had a mama reach out to me. She said, do you have any recommendations for my tutor for my first grader? I was like, if your first grader needs tutoring, then you're, you don't need to go to a tutor. You need an evaluation. There's no reason that our kindergartners, first graders, second graders, third graders are going to school after they go to school. Um, none of us want to go to work and then come home and go to work again. Um, and it's your, if children are needing additional supports, that means that the way that they're being taught in school is not sufficient. They need what's called SDI, which is specially designed instruction. And you're not going to receive that just by reading to them more. It's not the quantity. Nobody's saying the parents aren't reading to their children or they're not sitting down and spending that time with them. It means they need something more and above what is occurring in general education curriculum. Makes sense. So this testing is a big thing. And when you um, talk about the testing and like by law, you know, what people, you know, can get through the public um, system. And then also, you know, we've all always heard about private testing and uh, talk about what they accept and what they don't test when it comes to private testing um, and kind of what your, your thoughts are on, on the combination of the two. Yeah. So actually, if we could go back one slide really quick.
So on addressing the need, um, you know, once we kind of identify that there's an issue, we have to ask ourselves how we're responding. Um, but there are a couple of different needs that we need to look at. Is this a medical need? Is it a therapeutic need? And is it, or is it educational need? Um, these three different models do not always work well together. Their services are different. Um, they don't, they certainly do not exclude one from the other, but each model has different aims and different thresholds and different qualifications. All right, um, next slide. So when we're talking about getting children identified um, and tested, um, testing is one area that I really see a lot of missed opportunities. Um, we get familiar with our schools, we get familiar with our teachers, and we chat about things in the pickup line um, during open houses or assemblies. I love assemblies, they got me out of class. Um, but these aren't things that need to happen or can really happen in casual conversations. So how we ask for testing uh, really does matter. It's important that when these requests are made, that they're made in writing. Uh, you should always include your principal, teacher, counselor, really anybody else on the planet you can think of to make sure that everybody is in the loop. Um, if you didn't put it in writing, it didn't happen. Um, as that formal request starts a timeline, once you put in that formal request for testing, your LEA, your local educational authority, has 15 days to respond to you. So I would say something like this, dear Watermelon School, I'm requesting a formal individual evaluation for my little fireball. Areas of suspected disability are learning, communication, and attention. So the reason why I say that is that will cover, um, it'll kind of cover all the bases. When you're doing a formal evaluation, you really want to do um, across all areas, and we'll go into that because that's what really gives you a good baseline data for your child moving forward. Where are they at? Um, and whether you're testing in third grade or fifth grade or kindergarten, let's start and then we can move forward and build. So that starts a 15 day timeline for them to reply back to you. Um, if they come back to you and say, sure, let's sign notice and consent. If you start that notice and consent process to test, in Texas, they have 45 school days to complete all of their evaluations. Some states, it's up to 60 days. But when you think about it, 45 and 60, that's half the school year. So there's no reason to wait. You should have, we should have requested testing yesterday. It's always yesterday. Uh, because by the time those evaluations come back and then you have another 30 days once the evaluation is done to have what's called an ARD meeting here in Texas or just an IEP meeting anywhere else. So you really are talking about 60 to 90 days um, before you're sitting down for your initial meeting and you've already lost that whole school year practically at that point. So I, I have a question about testing. Like, let's say you're considering entering your child into the public school. Maybe they're in private school. Maybe they're homeschooled. And basically, as a parent, 
you need to have the testing um, done because you want to know what accommodations they'll be willing to provide before you enroll them. And what if the school's answer is enroll them and we'll watch them for a little while and then we'll do the testing. Um, Do you have rights on that? I mean, I've heard of that happening to people. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, so there are a couple of things there. Um, First is when we do outside testing, the school by law only has to consider it. Uh, They don't have to accept all of the data. So we, and we we want the schools to do their testing. We want them to test in language and pragmatics and social, medical, emotional, behavioral, adaptive behavioral, and IQ achievement, we want them to do that full, formal, robust testing, because that is where we're going to get all the information we need. And unfortunately, when we go to outside testing, um, we don't, the school has no onus to accept the entire report. So sometimes we are spending money that we didn't need to spend or delaying when we didn't need to have a delay because we wanted our testing back first. And now the other part of your question, when families are um, reaching out to school and indicating that they would like testing done and school is coming back to you and saying, we're going to do some RTI, we're going to do some small group, we're just going to watch them. Watch them is not in IDEA. IDEA states that it is the, and go back to child find, which is um, 300.111. It is the duty and responsibility of the local educational authority to identify, locate, and evaluate children in their district with suspected disabilities. It does not say confirmed. You don't need to have a confirmed anything. If there is a suspicion, that is sufficient to meet the threshold for child find. But what often happens is that part of that pushback that parents are getting is because they've asked in the wrong way. They've asked verbally. um, They've um, lobbed it at the, the teacher or the principal as a, hey, I think we need to do this. And we just need to go in with that straight email. This is my formal request for a formal individual, um, formal individual evaluation for, you know, my little fireball and start that clock. So if they don't meet that 15 day timeline, then they're, they're in breach of that timeline. Sometimes when you request, the school can come back and deny their testing. Certainly then come back to and say, we don't really have a need. At that point, you're going to want to request something called a PWN, which is a prior written notice, which should detail all the reasons and the rationale that the school is using um, to deny that testing. And oftentimes you'll just see grades. And grades are only one data point. And when you're looking at a PWN, they have to use data from multiple areas. So good grades is not a threshold for IDEA. It is about an educational opportunity um, benefit. And I have had plenty of families where their children are academically cruising right along 
but socially or communicative or adaptive behavior are really struggling. And so those are areas that IDEA um, is still in play and important to go ahead and utilize. So after that PWN, then you go back and you can request to the school for an IEE, which is that independent educational evaluation. So that is your outside evaluation that comes at the school's expense. Um, and then they will come back and take that data and you can have that discussion with school. So it's pretty rare that I see I see schools denying that initial formal request um, because after that, they're still gonna have to do the IEE most likely. If they don't grant the IEE, the school actually has to take the parent to due process. Okay, I, I just, um, you said a lot there and there's a lot of little acronyms and I wanna back up just yes. a little. Um, so basically you request in writing, you, you want testing and typically the school does that testing. And then once you get that testing, maybe you're happy with it, maybe you're not. But if you're mm -hmm. not happy with it, then you can request individual outside testing. You called it IEE, individual educational, what is the other yes. E for? So if you received testing and you don't agree with the, maybe you agree with the data, but you don't agree with their interpretations, or maybe you don't agree with the data either, um, then you can request an IEE, which is the independent educational evaluation. And your Got district it. will have a list of providers that they contract with. And then you would work with that outside provider to have the IEE completed. And then you can take that data back to your IEP or your ART team. And, and the beautiful thing in that is um, that that would be covered by the district under, under the IDEA. Um, whereas when you're doing these out-of-pocket out um, assessments, they could be three to $5,000. I've done them yes. with my kids before, and they can very easily be three to $5,000. So being aware that you can request that um, through, through your school once they've done their other evaluations, that is great information. So thank you for sharing that. Sure. Okay. So, you know, I, I'm sure we can all think of a few words that start with F. Got a few favorite ones, my own, but in this case, the F stands for full. Um, and I think sometimes we ruin uh, trying to, to diagnose and get services for our kiddos because we walk in and we say, little Johnny um, needs to be tested for dyslexia or little Johnny has ADHD. And then boom, you're gonna get a screener or you're gonna get testing that is very limited to those areas rather than having a full evaluation that is really going to cover, you know, communication and adaptive behavior and achievement IQ with all the different brain skills that go along with that. So testing does one of two things. You're either going to eliminate or you're going to identify disabilities. And it's very common to have coexisting disabilities. And we miss those if we aren't testing in all those areas. So a full, complete formal test is also going to give us a great baseline for that student. When you're signing your notice and consents, you want to make sure that your testing is including areas in full speech and language to include pragmatics. And pragmatics is that social speech. Um, that is, you know, you come in and say, you know, hey, you know, April, my dog just died. And April will respond to me and go, look at these Legos I have. That's pragmatic speech. 
So that's an area that unless you ask for it, often it's not included in that typical testing. Um, formal achievement, formal cognitive with all, it's called seven Gs. Your diastatisticians at school will know exactly what that is, but those are all of your brain skills. That's long-term memory, short-term memory, um, and all those different things that unless you test in all those areas, you're not going to pick up what's called specific learning disabilities. And there are several of them. Um, you're also going to look at formal adaptive a formal psychological or emotional, depending on what state you're in, they'll call it different things. And then all the related services. And this was an area as a new parent, I was definitely not aware of. So you can request um, occupational therapy in written expression, um, in communication, if you have somebody who is a complex communicator or nonverbal and needs potentially an AAC device, um, sensory, fine motor, um, music therapy, um, outside, sometimes wraparound services and outside counseling, sometimes counseling for the parents in home training. So there are many things that are available, but oftentimes um, parents don't know. And sometimes even school districts um, at the campus level won't know that you can have music therapy. So those are always good things to, to know about. Um, and for goodness sakes, always say formal. Um, screeners or informal testing, those are kind of cuss words to me because um, it's a lot of opinion and not a lot of data to move forward with. All right. Um, so so what if you're requesting a full evaluation and then they say, we're, we're going to do this or we're going to do that, and it's not including some of those things that you mentioned? Do you respond back in writing of, no, I think you misunderstood. I'm requesting a full evaluation and I'm requesting the following things and then make them say no to you in writing or like, what, what is the process for that? Cause I have seen some schools say, well, you know, we're going to do this screen and this screen, but they had eliminated five other screens that probably should have been, I not made screens the wrong word, five other, you know, evaluations that should have been included. So how does a parent respond when that happens? Sure. And, you know, a lot of times, you know, we find ourselves in a position where parents feel like they're, um, parents sometimes feel like they're begging for things and asking. And, you know, we, we're not, these are important, you know, tests and evaluations for our kiddos. So what I like to do is respond back to the school and say, should you choose, because it is their choice, should you choose to deny my formal request for evaluation, please provide me with a PWN by close of business. A lot of times that, you know, you'll get, oh, no, 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 I'm so sorry. That's not what I meant. You misunderstood me because they don't want to produce that document. So sometimes reminding them of, okay, if you're going to deny this request for testing, then you need to produce the PWN. And then oftentimes the velvet ropes part. So the PWN, um, again, tell us what that stands for uh, again. Um, so that way we have that in layman terms in case somebody yes. says that what? <laughs> so it is called a prior written notice, which sounds weird because it says prior. So you'd think that you would need to have that beforehand, but it's, it's a prior written notice ahead of what the school district is intending to do. So they're intending to deny 
your request for testing. So you're going to requ request that prior written notice should they choose to deny you that particular evaluation or that test. Perfect. And oftentimes Thank you that, that changes. You're welcome. Okay, so evaluating the impact of your child's disability and how they show up. You know, we all show up in different ways in our social relationships with our friends, our coworkers. Um, it is the same for our kids at school. So, and that for them, that's their workplace. So what does the day look like start to finish for them? You know, when you get them up in the morning, are you going in five, six times to pull them out of bed? Do they know all the steps to get through their morning routine, get out of bed, get dressed, you know, brush hair, put on deodorant and get their lunch and get out the door on time? Or are you really monitoring every step of the morning? And is it, is it kind of like a marathon for you as a parent to get them out the door on time and get them to school? You know, how does drop-off look like? Are they just popping out of the, the car and they're on their way and happy and, and going? Or is it really a struggle? Are they anxious? Is it hard to get them out of the car? You know, is there, you know, what kind of notes are you getting home from, from school um, regarding, you know, any kind of difficulties or, you know, successes during the day? So it's really like, how do they show up? Kids, just like adults, are impacted by their, their needs in different ways. And one student with um, dyslexia or one student with an AAC device or one student with um, a vision impairment isn't going to look like another student. So everybody is impacted by their disability in very different ways. So you know, really about thinking about how they show up, what, what are they impacted with throughout their day? Okay, so after your testing is done and you're confirming the presence of a disability that rises to the level of an educational need um, support or you're reviewing it and you're realizing it does not meet that threshold. So when we're testing, we're expecting one of three outcomes. Um, the first being that the student does not have a disability that needs school support, um, or the student has a disability that is not impacting them educationally, or number three, which is most common what I see, is a student has needs that rise to the level of needing special education and specially designed instruction with an IEP. So, and we'll go through what each of that those look like in the further slides. So possibility number one, your child does not have a disability that requires school support. Um, so, you know, when we're looking at this, we're literally looking at um, maybe your child ha is, you know, has glasses and they have their prescription with that support, they're fine. They're, they don't have additional needs that are attached to their disability or their deficit. Um, you know, it's very rare that I see this when parents are coming to do special education testing. I very rarely see this outcome because usually parents aren't asking, you know, just for the heck of it to go through special education testing. It's because there's a need that's because we've seen 
something that has usually been gnawing at the parent for several weeks, months, possibly even years. So I very rarely see this. Okay, next slide. Okay, possibility number two, your child has a disability that needs support under a 504. So the big difference between a 504 and an IEP is that a 504 is a civil right. It is under I um, it is under ADA. It was never meant as an educational product because what a 504 does is it provides accommodations. So it provides, it's the how something is being done, not so much the what. So, you know, if your student needs supports with a graphic organizer or they need, um, they may need speech to text or text to speech, depending on what, um, if they have ADHD or something else that just needs a support and accommodation. Um, maybe they move a little bit slower, so they need a little bit of extra travel time to get from one class to the next. So there are a variety of things that can happen under a 504, but it is purely about ensuring access that they're not discriminated against based on their disability in order to access the building and access their education. Um, I just have a quick question because yes. I mean, this was years, years ago, um, but they were commonly like for a kid that has ADHD, maybe that's their mm -hmm. primary diagnosis. So they were co commonly throwing them under OHI for the other other health impairment and throwing them under the 504. What is the lay of the land in Texas now? Are children with um, ADHD and le learning differences commonly under 504 or more commonly nowadays under IEP? Oh, so Texas ranks 50th. 5-0 in the delivery of special education services. We are dead last bringing up the rear of the caboose. Um, unfortunately, 504s, so 504s cost districts about $2. Um, there is a great article came out of the Houston Chronicle called Denied. It was a multi-part series um, that really spoke to, particularly here in Texas, um, the purposeful cap that was placed on students entering special education. So there's an artificial ceiling that was placed for many years um, that, you know, our students up until, you know, I think 2017, 2018 were experiencing the repercussions of that. Um, ADHD, it, it depends on, again, is the is the disability rising to the level that is impacting their, you know, their educational experience? So I have seen some ADHD and under a 504, but oftentimes it really needs to be under an IEP because that's where you're going to receive some of those additional services in order to manage parts of that disability. Um, but unfortunately, we really push, and it's not just Texas, it's it's nationwide. 504s are, you know, given up like, you know, um, tissue to parents all over the place. And then we're told it's some great, fantastic product. But then 
parents are wondering why their student's not progressing. It's because a 504 does not have any specially designed instruction. So it's not assisting your student with any of their learning differences or how they need to access their education, whether they need things presented a different way or we're going to learn something different in order to get this done. There's no goals. There's no progress monitoring. Um, and there are a whole lot less protections for the student and for the family. They can call your eight-year-old down to the office for a 504 and ask, do you really, really, really need, you know, this, you know, special calculator for math? And they'll go, no. And then it's, it's off. It's gone. So you don't have, there's no teeth to it. There's a lot less support. So the bottom line is, is if we have a loved one with a disability that has true learning differences and an impediment to learning, they really need an IEP. The 504 is going to give them extra time between classes, maybe an extra set of books at home, little things like that. But when it comes down to this child needs extra help, the IEP is where they're going to get that. So I think understanding, I'm glad you kind of spent time discussing the differences between a 504 and an IEP, because again, there's just a lot of numbers and acronyms to a lot of parents, and it's confusing. And, and a lot of times when you're first coming into this journey, you don't really know the difference between a 504 or an IEP and whatever they tell you is good as you think is and until you learn until you learn otherwise. So thank you for sharing that. That was really good. I so know. let's talk about um, a little bit There's more about the IEPs. Yeah. So actually if we go back to the other slide, a couple other quick notes on the the wonderful 504s. Um so, you know, my my oldest, I like to use um, stories as examples because it just seems to sit well with people, is my my oldest was very much that typical case, ADHD, multiple learning disabilities. And he was initially, they said, oh, okay, let's do 504. And it he did not progress. That gap in his reading, because he had a um, a language disorder as well. And the gap kept kept growing, kept growing because he wasn't receiving that support that you would receive through a special education teacher and that specially designed instruction, the SDI. And so his ability to comprehend and take in the information that was given to him um, wasn't sufficient for what was being provided in general education. So, you know, it takes, usually if a child is, I would say two, if they're two or three grade levels behind in any subject, they need to be in resource and they need to be in resource immediately. It takes tremendously so much longer to support a student if they have reading deficits, if you wait until sixth, seventh grade it can take double the time sometimes. And you really, you're just losing that opportunity. More importantly, probably for well, Andrew's plus, yeah. I, I want to say that we we saw that too. Like we're like, um, like sometimes there's comorbid conditions, like for instance, mm -hmm. ADHD and dyslexia, like for instance, mm -hmm. um, where where it wasn't really figured out until later in the late elementary or, or junior high years and things like that. Well, also, at the same time, fourth, fifth, sixth grade is getting harder and harder. The subjects are getting harder and harder. And when we've got a kid that really just isn't reading well, 
um, it, it just snowballs. And, and we've definitely, we've definitely seen that as well. So that early intervention of even seeing like if, you know, we've seen this with kids on the autism spectrum, ADHD or, or, or whatever with that, those early intervention on if there is a dyslexia problem or other, other issues going mm-hmm. on with their ability to code and all those types of things to be able to read. It's so, so important. Yes, that early, you know, those, those, that phonological awareness and that ability to comprehend the fluency, um, the cadence of their, their reading and, you know, to really understand that information becomes paramount as they go forward. Because as you said, everything starts coming. It's like drinking from a water hose, looking at school from first, second grade to eighth grade, the information is coming at them that much faster and if you don't have that solid foundation, um, it is it just makes it tremendously harder. And then sometimes you also see you'll see behavioral other deficits start coming up because they don't know what's going on in class. And then you'll see a lot of other things um, rise to the surface because kids get disengaged. They get frustrated. Um, you know, why am I going to try to do this anymore? Because I have no idea you're talking about step five on the instructions and I'm still processing step two. And I have no idea what you said for three, four or five, because it's not that I'm checking out or it's not that I'm trying to ignore the teacher. My brain is taking longer to siphon through all of that information. And so special education is a way to assist them with getting some of that, um, you know, helping them mitigate how they're impacted for their disability. You know, you're not going to suddenly wake up one day and not be dyslexic. You're not going to wake up one day and not have autism. You're not going to wake up one day and not have ADHD, but there are strategies and supports that can be taught to help mitigate the impact of those disabilities. And importantly, now that we have April with us, another big difference between 504 and IEP there's no transition planning with a 504. Yes. You lose out on that piece. And that's so important when we're talking about our kiddos that are in high school. And really in Texas, we start transition at 14. I'll talk about this a little bit later as well. Um, so we we don't want to miss out on that opportunity. And a 504 is not going to give you that support. I did want to real quick just mention that because I've had some parents who have had children on IEPs when they're younger Mm -hmm. and the school as they age says, hey, your kids have done so great. They've graduated from the IEP just when they need the transition services and then they're no longer required and those kids miss those transition services. So I did want to mention that as we were talking about that. Yes, I have run into that so frequently. A lot of schools are telling their parents, well, in preparation for them graduating, let's switch them to that 504 so they can take it to college. Yes, I've heard that too. You don't take anything to college. That's the news for parents. It doesn't matter 504 or IEP. You're not bringing anything to college except for your entire life savings, right? As a parent, that's what you're bringing to college. Um, But whether you have an IEP or 504, you bring your most recent evaluations and document to the student accessibility or disability office at the college campus. 
And usually because you're paying to be there, they are very willing to support and accommodate uh, your student and their needs and provide those accommodations. Because again, 504 is under ADA, so it's Americans with Disabilities Act, and that's everybody in the United States has that guarantee. So you don't need you don't need to lessen your benefit if your student's on an IEP. You don't need to lessen your benefit so you can take something to college. You can take that IEP document to college and they will provide you the accommodations. What you're going to lose is the SDI, you're going to lose you're going to lose your special education teacher and the goals, but you're not going to lose accommodations. We we do a whole presentation on higher education for individuals with disability, and we kind of talk about um, those accommodations on the higher level. But so it is true is there's a lot of changes, but there are also a lot of programs across the U.S. and across um, Texas that are very accommodating for individuals with disabilities and programs specifically for disabilities. So there is a lot of um, options out there. Um, and I know we've got about 12 minutes left, but yeah. we do have a question. So I want to um, keep moving. Um, one person said, what would be the motivating factor of putting a high functioning Down syndrome child who is in a resource class? freshmen in high school into life skills, academics or average math is challenging. So what would be the benefit of that? I'm not sure. Um, you know, if you put them into life skills, I'm assuming that they would also be switching them over to a life skills cu curriculum. So to be changing to um, unique or one of the other life skills programs. And, you know, the, what we always have to remember is, you know, the, um, with everything that we're doing in special education, it's the balance between harmful effect and benefit, right? And when we're talking about life skills, once a student is in life skills, it, about only 1% come back out because you're starting to create that gap in what they're learning versus the general education population. So if they are academically um, comfortable you know, and then it's just math. I would be curious to have more information regarding what that deficit looks like and whether or not that deficit can be better served in the resource room, or maybe they're pulled out just for that one subject. But I would, I would be questioning a whole change to a, to a, a life skills classroom. So that might be a one-off um, conversation that they can um, take uh, together with you uh, offline for that. Yes. So um, when you, uh, you know, we're kind of talking about these individualized education plans, the IEPs, the acronym, the IEP uh, that, that we're throwing around and getting that moving. Once the testing is done, like how, how long does it take to actually get your IEP in place once they have all of the data? Sure. So they have in Texas 45 days to test and then another 30 days after that to review the testing data. You'll get a copy of the draft and then sit down and have a meeting. So um, at that meeting, they will present to you their draft. Um, and that's the opportunity to go over what they're proposing as the goals, what they're proposing as um, the accommodations. So 45 days to test and then another 30 to come together after you receive that initial evaluation. 
And, and Christina, I just want to say for parents on here that are thinking about this, don't delay because you might think you have lots of time. School's out in June or it's out in May and they start doing end of grade testing in April. So like get, when she's talking 15 days here, 20 days here, 30, 45 days here, yeah. it adds up really quick. So I would just say if you're going to be requesting this testing, get your request in writing and get it in like yesterday. They just yeah. went back to school or they're just going back to school um, after the holiday break. So don't delay because if you do, if you start making these recommendations, requests in March and April, then they delay them because of other testing and other things going. And then before you know it, it's the summer and then Mm -hmm. it's fall before it happens. And we're already starting another school year behind with one arm behind our back is basically, you know, so I do recommend um, moving that along. School will be out before you ever even know it. Christina, just a couple of quick questions with that timeline in mind. Are those 45 school days and do student absences feed into that? Those are questions Um, I ran into. You know, the, it's 45 school days and what the student absences, if it's, you know, a dentist appointment here and there or a doctor's appointment here and there, um, that shouldn't impact testing. Um, But certainly if students out for multiple days and, you know, you're going to go take a week for vacation and then they're out for another, you know, week here, if it becomes significant, then that could impact testing and they could come back and request um, additional days. And so that would add to your testing window. So, you know, we, you know, things happen and certainly kids are going to be out. um, But, you know, I would avoid a family vacation, you know, going off for, you know, two weeks to, to Europe while you're trying to do your testing window. So, um, Let's see, we're looking at the PLAF. So that is the biggest portion that really should be probably the first three, four pages of your IEP document. And that is your present levels of academic achievement and functional performance. And in some places they call it a PLOP, but really what I think of it is, is a story of your child. It drives the entire IEP and it's usually a few sentences. Jimmy is a sweet, happy kiddo who enjoys math and hates English class. Well, what does that mean? And as much as I love my child being called sweet, um, that's not that's not a quantifiable piece of data that I need in my present levels. It doesn't tell me how to support them. It doesn't tell me how to work with them. So this is a document that is a legally binding federal document. It is meant to support your child for the whole year. So 36 instructional weeks, and we should be spending the time and we should make sure that we're getting this right. So we need to see what the child looks like in each part of their instructional day, you know, bell to bell. How are they impacted at drop-off, lunch, science, reading, math, art, gym? What does recess look like? You know, what does their lunchtime look like with peers? Um, It should be so detailed that anybody could pick up that IEP and say, oh, I know exactly who that is. That's Timmy. It should really, it's the, it should pass the stranger test, so to speak. So if somebody did not have a clue about your child, you handed them the IEP and they should be able to see your sweet little cherub through this document. 
Anyone should be able to understand who the child is, how their disability impacts them across their educational settings. That doesn't mean just their core classes, educational settings. That includes, you know, art class and drama class and music class. And want, we should be able to see how they're impacted by their disability in all of those particular settings. Christina, um, you know, I imagine that some of the um, folks that are, are that are listening today maybe already have a class, maybe they already have this whole IEP, and um, maybe it's a lot of words on a lot of pages, and it's a little overwhelming to take in. Like, I just don't even know what I'm reading. Um, is uh, do you uh, uh, kind of review those? Is that a service that you provide, where if if somebody wanted to hire you to review theirs um, to see if there was any recommendations that that you would make uh, to be added or, or something like that. Is that something that you can do? Because I know that you know the key legalities and the language and what has to be and doesn't have to be. But I think the average person, you know, uh, we just want help for our kids. We just want yes. our kids to get a good education. We just think, want things to go smoothly at school. Right. We're not like trying to be a specialist at all the legalities that come into the PLAF or the IEP. So can you help with that? Yeah, 100%. So sometimes whether I have a family that wants full out of services where I go with them to all of their meetings, or if they just want to do file reviews, you know, then I want to see all of the documents. I want to see Perfect. all the testing, all of the drafts, um, anything that you have that helps me know who your child is. So then I can turn around and provide you with some um, suggestions on how to make those adjustments. Um, no matter what type of services you need from me. I call it turning the knobs, Christina. It's just a little bit, you know, we're not necessarily going to turn the the knob wide open and instantly your child that is really struggles reading is going to be the best reader ever um, overnight. It doesn't really happen like that, but if we um, on purpose turn the knobs a little bit to give the tools and resources that the child needs, then you are going to see over time, you know, them hitting their goals. And I think that's such a, such a key thing. So thank you for that. I think that's a valuable service that you provide. And for a person that doesn't want to be a specialist on this, we just want something, you know, good for our kids and that's moving in the right direction. Um, I think that that is a, a, a valuable service. So um, I know that we have like three minutes left. So oh, let's yeah. um, run through the annual goal. Or do you want to just hit on that or just hit the highlights on that? We'll highlight that sucker. So, you know, your annual goals are part of your IEP. And that's really where you're going to discuss what, you know, what Billy's deficit is um, and how you're going to get there. But what we often see is we'll see Billy will do X, Y, Z, you know, in, you know, three out of four trials. Well, what we need to see in that document is how, what are we providing as teachers in order to get him to do that? So Billy's going to do this with these supports, with this teaching method, we need specific, you know, we need to be very specific when we're looking at our goals. And right now, I often see documents where they're very general and it doesn't tell the teacher what they're supposed to be doing. Let's say they have a sub, detailed plans lead to better outcomes. So most importantly, transitions. So that's one thing I really want to touch on is that is so important and biggest part of the IEP that we probably leave to last. We don't do that part very well. 
Um, but as early as 14 in Texas, you should be meeting with a transition coordinator in your district. They should be a part of your meeting. Um, and we want to be asking for a formal vocational evaluation. Um, oftentimes kids are given screeners. I have seen little booklets with stick figures. Um, I have seen papers where it's like, do you want to wipe the table or do you want to clear the table? Um, this is unacceptable for our students. Um, so it's about looking at what they enjoy. Do they want to be in air conditioning? Do they want to wear a uniform? Do they like people and want to be around people or do they not? So that formal evaluation will really help you and it will help transition and building goals so your student is ready. And then you can go to um, somebody like April or go to Texas Workforce with that evaluation and they can assist your student in finding areas that really meet um, what they want, their preferences, and what they enjoy, and what is going to be a successful employment for them long term. Christina, also, um, one thing I would just want to mention on um, transitions, I know we're out of time for today, is that um, it is important, depending on your student and their edge, you know, where kind of where they're at, um, students can stay in the public school um, post age 18, I think it's to age 22. Some schools might be pushing your child out, but you do have rights um, under under the law. So if it is your goal for your child, if they're not there yet and they need to stay in longer, there are transition programs. There's all kinds of stuff out there, but you mm -hmm. need to look at it early because if you say nothing and they say nothing, they're assuming that your child is leaving at 18, okay? you know. Um, and so I think it's real important to look at that. And the other thing is, is these programs are free post age 18, right? If they belong there and if they're in school, that kind of thing. If they are pushed out at 18 and they shouldn't have been, those transition programs that you're going to get them involved in are are they cost? They're they're out of pocket cost to the family. So from a budget perspective, a, you know, a family has to look at that um, as well. So I we today um, uh, for anybody that has attended this live session, you, everybody is going to get a copy of today's slides. There's some additional um, slides in here. We do have Christina's um, direct contact information of how you can reach out to her directly if she if you need support or you want to look. Um, add additional, you know, having her look at what you have in place. Um, it's um, Allison Skybrook here with Consolidated Planning Group. We are a holistic special needs financial planning firm. We put webinars on like this all the time, every week, um, partnering with organizations um, like um, Workforce uh, Commission, April Martin. So we're always glad to partner with you guys. Um, all of our upcoming webinars, there's going to be a link uh, in today's slides so you can register for those. The webinars are always free and after after the webinars um, happen, any kind of any kind of recording that we have will live on our YouTube channel. We also have podcasts as well. So um, we, you know, these are some of the topics that we have um, as it relates to planning for special needs and and what um, you know kind of meetings on these topics. So you can subscribe to the YouTube channel or look at the podcast for that. And if you need, you know, a personalized uh, consultation as it relates to planning for your loved one with special needs, uh, we are definitely here to help. And we offer free personalized consultations. A lot of times people don't want to put their all their laundry out in the chat box. And we certainly understand that. But we um, certainly look forward to chatting with you. We went a little bit over. Sorry for that. Um, it has certainly been a pleasure to be uh, here with Christina Cabral and April Martin. And we look forward to partnering uh, with you again. Thanks so much, everyone. All right. Thank you so much.
Thanks. Mm -hmm. Bye-bye. Bye now. Bye-bye. Securities and advisory services offered through Triad Advisors, member FINRA and SIPC, Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated and Triad Advisors LLC are not affiliated. Advisory services offered through Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated. Consolidated Planning Group Incorporated is not affiliated with Triad Advisors.